first week of the year is under our belts and storylines from 2021 continue as employee resignations late last year are reported to have peaked, but factory supply chains have reportedly improved. Some cautiously hope that the most recent strain of COVID will herald the beginning of the end. And at the same time, many schools and offices are going virtual again. There's a whole year ahead of us with much to look forward to, but it's seatbelts on and tray tables stowed as we clear through another round of turbulence. In this edition of Commerce Code, Ad Evolution, Precision Marketing, and Card-Linked Offers with David Crystal of Agio and Brandon Doles of Fig. Dan Carell here, and this is Commerce Code, brought to you by DCA, the Digital Commerce Alliance. Thanks for joining us for insights into the evolving world of digital commerce. We're jumping into the new year with many of the same uncertainties we had as 2021 began, but we've gotten better at getting on with things in spite of it all. That is expected to be reflected in a Super Bowl this February with more upbeat advertising after last year's more restrained event. Yet even a more restrained event netted an estimated $485 million in advertising spend, drawing attention not only to the ads, but to their price, as always. This year's Super Bowl is slated to feature ads from Rakuten, Crypto.com, FTX, also a cryptocurrency exchange, and returning brands like DraftKings, TurboTax, Avocados from Mexico, and of course, plenty of automotive brands. Super Bowl ads can create cultural images that even outlive the companies they were created to promote, the Pets.com sock puppet comes to mind. Are they worth it? As we all know, it's awfully hard to say. Given how fragmented live TV audiences are these days, the Super Bowl presents a unique opportunity to reach a lot of people at once. That has spillover benefits on social media and beyond, but the Super Bowl still hasn't overcome the problem of drawing a straight line between an ad that makes a big splash and consumers taking action. Creating consumer action is part of the conversation today as we talk with David Crystal of Agio and Brandon Doles of Fig. We'll talk Super Bowl audience size, predictions for 2022, and performance marketing through card-linked offers. David and Brandon, it's great to have you back on Commerce Code. And it is, of course, first podcast of the new year for us. So you guys have a good start to the new year? Speaking for me, this is David. Absolutely. I think Brandon would say the same. Brandon? Yeah, we, we had a great start to the new year. It's, it's a little warmer in Minnesota. We were negative 20 and now we're up to plus 30. <laughs> so it feels like a sunny day at the beach. That's good. Shorts and t-shirts weather. Speaking of shorts and t-shirts, pretty soon it's January, but you know, February is just around the corner. And of course, all of civilization turns its eyes to the Super Bowl, maybe in February. And of course, a little bit to watch the game, but a lot of it's the ads in the, in the halftime show. So I wanted to start with that, which is just thinking about card-linked offers and some of the other things that go on in the advertising world and in promotions or marketing. How would you compare advertiser benefits of a Super Bowl commercial? And we'll start here about those soon to a card-linked offer campaign? How do we think about those two fairly different things? Each advertising medium offers a similar consumer reach. In 2021, roughly 94.6 million people watched the Super Bowl. It FIG's card-linked offer network has over 100 million linked cards today. So FIG is now reaching as many people as the 2021 Super Bowl. The difference is that FIG's model is performance-based. So there's no charge for reaching these consumers until an actual transaction or purchase occurs. 
So both channels offer brands an opportunity to build brand awareness. The Super Bowl does this by casting a wide range to a broad audience. And card-linked offers not only provide exposure when an advertiser's offer is promoted, but after the purchase is made. And this is in addition to the constant promotion of the offers through the publisher or the financial institution. So while not a hard-hitting 30-second impact, ours in the card-linked sector is a slow drip over days, weeks, and months. You've got a surgical Super Bowl. Exactly, exactly. That's remarkable, and I certainly hadn't thought about it that way. Brandon, I know that you've given some thought to this, which is what is it about the Cardlink offers that's attractive to advertisers, and is it complementary? How do people think about it layering in with the other things that they do in advertising? As David said, there's many reasons why advertisers choose card linking, but at the core of it, we deliver a verified transaction. Advertisers are only paying if we deliver that transaction. The views, the clicks, the impressions all come at no cost. On top of that, card linking resonates with advertisers for some other performance-based reasons. One being it's a unique audience. As David said, we have reach of 100 million cardholders today, and our advertisers look at that as a brand-safe channel. At the same time, the unique ability of, with the customer's permission, we have access to the transaction history. This allows us to target ads specifically based on your history. To your second part of your question around, is it complimentary? Absolutely. As we think about it, we have a quick service brand that we work with today. They put out a limited time offer across TV, radio, a bunch of different channels, just like the Super Bowl. It's a wide net. And think about a customer who sees that Super Bowl ad. The next morning, they check their bank balance. They see an advertisement for that brand for maybe 10% off, and it tips them over to go try out that brand for the first time by complimenting maybe that limited time offer that they heard on the radio, and then now seeing it within their mobile app. So it's a portfolio approach, obviously, in terms of awareness and driving to action. I think of what you're doing is sort of performance marketing, right? You're able to tie the awareness and the impressions into consumers taking action. It seems like more advertisers are are moving more of their budget towards performance marketing. What would you say is sort of the main reason for shifting more into that performance marketing tactic? especially in the last couple of years now with COVID impacted customer behavior, both shifting people from in-store to online and that shrinked revenue, you know, in the short term, which also shrinked advertising budgets for a lot of brands. And as they looked at that smaller budget, they gravitated toward card linking, which is that pay for performance. First and foremost, really the ability to put a budget against a channel that allows them to see that return on investment, that return on ad spend. At the same time, that unique targeting allows them to target channel. So as customers are going back and forth between in-store and online, because we see that transaction data, we're able to target at a channel level. So with anything new and anything that has some complexity, there's always some misunderstandings about those things, right? People have a first impression that maybe sticks around too long or maybe was never accurate to begin with. So I'd be interested to get your sense of what are some things that advertisers tend to misunderstand about card-linked offers? One of the main things that gets confused with card linking is affiliate offers. You know, affiliate offers are more of a click tracking or a pixel that tracks that behavior. And as a consumer, you click on a link, you have maybe seven days to shop on that website. It is taking those views, those clicks, and trying to approximate through a time-based way that transaction. Whereas card linking you know, is tied to that linked payment, that linked card, be it your mobile wallet, your physical card, your digital card, all linked to that. And we're able to do that verified transaction 
versus that affiliate link. So that's probably one of the main misunderstandings. There's confusion around, does card linking require third-party cookies? This is how websites track users today. When you go visit a website, you come back and it welcomes you back with what used to be in your cart. Those are transitioning out and card linking does not require third-party cookies. Again, tied back to the payments, tied back to the card as that singular source of verification, all based on permissions given by the consumer. It seems like in the current privacy environment, as a general matter, as we shift towards consumers being ever more in charge of their own data, that the card-linked offer platform stays pretty well insulated from that, or at least it, it probably increases its attractiveness. Is that right? You are correct. We continue to really put customer data and customer permission at the forefront of everything that we do so that we're delivering value, but we're doing it in a way that consumers know what they're getting from the channel. I couldn't agree with Brandon more. Consumers expect us to know where they're spending their money. It's no different than getting a credit or debit card statement in the mail or through your digital or mobile experiences. It's tracked where you're spending. So there's no sort of creepy data effect, for lack of a better way to characterize it, in in the sector. As a performance-based channel, our model does guarantee return on advertising spend up front. And some of the more popular digital channels that deliver millions of consumers, like Google, Facebook, YouTube, have different pricing models. These metrics can be tracked and targeted, but there isn't a direct sales attribution that exists relative to what we're doing in the card link sector. That makes sense that it kind of premised on the relationship that you have with the, you know, I'm carrying credit cards and I've got a relationship with them. So it's not a surprise to me that my doctor knows that I have high blood pressure. It's not a surprise to me that the card companies obviously have all the data on where I've spent my money. And so it's, it's more of a relationship. There's more precision and there's more content there. Exactly. Okay, so turning to the last question, and David, I know you've been kicking around this space for a long time. You might have thoughts on this one, but predictions for 2022, it's the first week of 2022. So predictions for digital advertising this year, what do you think is going to happen? We look at 2022 and we certainly look beyond, and there's a number of trends that stand out for us. Of course, the first is that the traditional offer wall will be replaced by personalized, curated collections of ad content. So digital advertisers will continue to refine the way they serve ads to people. Highly curated collections with hyper-relevant content will be what people seek. Second trend, what we're calling sort of experienced-focused offer content. Advertisers will begin to deliver more imaginative ad content and innovative engagement experiences. So to garner attention and differentiate from others, digital advertisers will increasingly seek to create more intriguing and fun interactions with offer content. Third trend we see is the seas of sameness will shift. If you look at historically offer walls, whether it's affiliate content, card link content, or so many other forms of offers, and that's going to change dramatically. Publishers of digital ad content will begin to create more distinctive, differentiated approaches. Banks, content aggregators, you know, and other ad publishers will begin to see the benefit of speaking with a more pronounced voice. Just a few other quick ones. Crypto-based loyalty rewards or purchase incentives will skyrocket. If there's one thing that captures consumer attention right now, it's crypto. Cashback offers will take the form of crypto back via fractionalized investment opportunities in the coming year. The rise of what we call advertiser urgency. As challenges continue with a less predictable supply chain, digital advertisers will increasingly embrace quote-unquote situational promotions reflecting very short timeframes. Then lastly, and this is definitely beyond 2022, is the digital advertising for the quote-unquote metaverse. You know, we're still in the very early stages of defining how the metaverse will evolve, but the most savvy of digital advertisers will pursue opportunities to capitalize on being an early adopter, whatever that might look like. And in offers in general, we do see that as a trend that has a certain inevitability to it. There's a first mover opportunity on the metaverse side for advertisers, which is the first advertiser to teach me what it is. 
there's, there's that, and there's that for me and probably hundreds of millions of other people. So maybe another way of saying it is, you know, it's, it's malleable at this point, at least conceptually in the mind of the consumer. And the other thing I'll just react to as the second last thing that you mentioned, I'm a fan of markets and how they work. And markets are incredibly good at transacting in information and adjusting to changes in situations. And I think we, you know, over the last several decades have become complacent or whatever. We've accepted the idea that the market's almost invisible and that things would always be available. But this idea of being able to adjust not just the supply chain, but also sort of communication and advertising in response to the fact that some things aren't available right now, or maybe they're excessively available at some point, and be able to use both the price mechanism, but also messaging to adapt to that strikes me as a absolutely right adaptation of the market to the current situation and one that we hope resolves soon, but you never know. And communication and advertising are part of that resolution. I totally agree. You know, we spend so much time studying these mega trends and how consumers define value and experience values change so dramatically. But the one thing that's been a trend that's been in place for now many years and continues to evolve in the way that you're suggesting, Dan, is this notion of immediacy. We expect it and we expect it now. And all things digital enables the delivery of that in ways that, you know, a decade ago just couldn't be done. So many things that we could unpack now, but we'll, we'll take the rest of the year 2022 to unpack them as they happen, I guess. And Brandon and David, a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to thinking about some of the things that you've said across the course of this year, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again. Great, Dan. Thanks so much. We love our relationship with DCA and appreciate all that it means for us and does for our industry. Thank you, Dan, for the time and have a great new year. Coming right up, closing thoughts on what it takes for us to make a decision and act on it. I'm still thinking about David's comment about solving the problem of too many choices. The human brain is believed by some scientists to be the most sophisticated thing in the universe. And while I haven't always felt that way about my own brain, when trying to assemble IKEA furniture, I'll take their word for it. Impressive as our brains are, they've also got some big limitations, one of which is making decisions when too many choices are present. We all want more choices. Baskin-Robbins had a lot of success with 31 flavors when that seemed like a lot. It now boasts more than 1,400 in its flavor library. But when there are lots of choices, we sometimes freeze up and just choose the vanilla or decide not to buy anything at all. Don't worry, sometimes the choice was hard, but I've never once failed to buy ice cream. Anyway, you get the idea. Our powerful but limited brains are more likely to make a decision and take action on it when we have three options than when we have 12. Sometimes less is more. So a core sales tactic has always been simplifying the buyer's decision architecture. Ideally, getting what could be a complicated decision down to a simple yes-no, where yes is the best path. Card-linked offers and other performance marketing tools do that well. Do I want this thing? Do I want a deal on it? If we're answering yes to those two simple questions, we're very likely to take action. And when we can see that consumer action, we can use that intelligence to tailor even better. That isn't just good for brands. It also delivers something the world needs more of and has never figured out quite how to supply. Less information and the peace of living in a slightly quieter world. In 2022, that may seem like a distant dream, but we're developing technologies and techniques that can make consumers better off in that way, too, while improving the quality of everyone's advertising spend. To find out more about the latest trends in digital commerce and digital advertising, check out our website, www.digcomall.org. For the Digital Commerce Alliance, take care of yourself and take care of each other. 
God bless. This is Dan Carell signing off. 